My parents went 13 years without having children, and they thought they might never have children. And then finally, my sister was conceived and born, and we have one home movie that tells you how long ago it was. It was a home movie of my mother with my infant sister, and she is just beaming. Uh, The joy uh, and longing of her heart had finally been fulfilled, and the joy is just written all over her face as she holds my sister in her arms. My cousin just recently told me that she helped my father send out the birth announcements, and it was such a thrilling time in the life of our family. Well, today we come to the long-awaited birth of the promised son, Isaac. And like my mother, just back in 1955, Sarah, so many years ago, was in seventh heaven because she was thrilled and filled with joy. But you know what this meant for Abraham? Ishmael was now the odd man out. With the birth of Isaac, Ishmael had to leave, and it broke Abraham's heart. In Genesis 21, we see two boys. Isaac, who represents the joy of faith, and Ishmael, who represents the pain of faith. There's a very important lesson that all of us need to get today from Genesis 21. And the lesson is this. It's so very important. Living by faith will bring you great joy but it will also bring you great pain. And we always need to keep these two in balance as Christ followers who are following the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we will experience the greatest joy that anyone can ever experience. But there will also be times of great pain. I've experienced in my Christian life joy and pain at the very same time. Both happening in my life at the same time. And this will always be this way in the Christian life. Now this morning, I want to look at the joy side. I want to bring a message that I'm entitling, The Last Laugh. And it comes from the first seven verses of Genesis 21. Now we are skipping over chapter 20 this morning because I preached on that chapter a year ago in the marriage series that we did. So I'd like you to take your Bibles And turn with me to Genesis 21, and I want to read verses 1 through 7 as we look at this very joyous time that also was going to bring great sadness to this family. Let's notice what the Word of God says, Genesis 21, starting at verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. 
And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Now, these verses are known as what is called a birth announcement. And there is an air of festiveness and jubilation that is right in the passage itself. The opening verse is written in poetic style. It is synonymous parallelism like we often see in the Psalms. Sarah's statement in verse 6 is also in the form of poetry. Now you know that poetry is written for celebrations and extraordinary occasions. And here's what we need to remember. This is not just ancient history. This is theological history. And this is about the joy that comes to every believer who lives by faith. Now I think you know if you look at a text note in the margin of your Bible that Isaac means he laughs or laughter. Do you know Isaac the name appears six times in this chapter? Verse 3, 4, 5, 8, 10, and 12. And then laugh or laughter appears twice in verse 6. So what is the point that we are seeing as we open Genesis 21? There is laughter, great joy for those trusting in the Lord. Here's the lesson that we are to learn in these opening verses. Faith brings joy. Faith brings joy. You know, everyone today is looking for happiness, aren't they? People want to know, how can I be happy? But the Bible offers something much greater than happiness. The Bible offers joy. How would you define joy? What would you say joy is? Well, let me give you what I would give my answer this morning. Here's what joy is. Joy is deep satisfaction that you're walking with God and experiencing his work in your life. Let me say that again. Here's what joy is. Joy is deep satisfaction that you are walking with God and you are experiencing His working in your life. Now, as we look at this text this morning, there are a number of ways that Abraham and Sarah experience joy. And these are ways that you and I, as we walk with God by faith, experience joy as well. So let's look at them, all right? Here is the first one this morning. Number one, you experience the promises of God's word. One way that living by faith brings you joy is you get to experience the promises of God's word. Now verses one and two here emphasize how reliable the word of God was in the fulfillment of this birth. You'll notice the things that were said. This birth occurred as God had said. As he had promised. That came about which God had spoken. 
But I want you to notice that the reliability here also extends to precise details. Because verse 2 says that the birth came about at the time, the very time of which God had spoken. Now, if you were to underline that little phrase at the time, it would be very important because we've seen it three times already in the Abraham narrative. We've seen it in chapter 17, verse 21, and twice in chapter 18, verse 10, and verse 14. In fact, turn back with me to chapter 18 for a moment, and I want you to notice verse 14, because notice how precise God's promise was, and then we'll link it to the fulfillment that we see in verse 2 of chapter 21. Notice verse 14 of Genesis 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. So notice what God says at the appointed time. And then even more specific about this time next year, literally that second phrase is this, at the season of life for Sarah, it is a reference to the spring of the year. It is referring to nine months later. And then we come to chapter 1, verse 2, and we read, At the time of which God had spoken, Sarah gave birth nine months later. God's word is accurate to the very detail. God's word is Precise. Do you know there are two ways that we know the Bible is the Word of God and is true? There are two ways. One is the historical test, and the other is the experiential test. Now, notice this verse, Proverbs 30, verse 5. It is very critical for our understanding of what we believe about the Bible. Every word of God proves true. The word proves there is a word that referred to refining metals in the fire until the metals were absolutely pure and flawless. So this verse is saying every word of God, every part of it is flawless. It is pure. It is absolutely true. And it is verses like this where we get our doctrine of inerrancy that God, when he originally gave his word, gave it to us without error. It is inerrant. And one of the ways we know the word of God is absolutely true is it is 100% accurate in all that it affirms God promised Sarah in the season of her life, nine months later, and Isaac was born exactly on time. 
And then we know that God's word is true experientially because it works in our life. Sarah had doubted the word of God. We saw that when she laughed. But now she knew it's true. It is true. I have experienced what God promised and said he would do in his word. Now, we need to be very, very careful here. And I want to be very careful with you. The Bible is not true because we experience it. We experience it because it's true, right? That's very, very important. You see, our experience confirms what history shows. The Bible is God's living word. And because it is true, we experience what it says. There's a verse in the Bible that is very, very precious to me, and it's very, very meaningful, uh, especially to me, at this particular year in my life. And here's this verse that's very precious to me. Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This year marks the midpoint of my life. I've lived exactly 32 years without Ellen, and now I've lived 32 years with Ellen. Which do you think are the best 32 years of my life? She'll be sitting over here in the second service. Do you know what I want to say in all honesty this morning? Ellen is as beautiful to me today as she was the very first time I saw her in her wedding dress. But beyond that, I have no doubt I would not have been a senior pastor for 35 years were it not for Ellen. I would say to you in many ways, she's the rock in our marriage and in our family. And I have lived the truth of this verse. Now, it is not true because I've experienced it, but because it's true, I've experienced it. And there are so many other promises like that where I could talk with you today and say, here's a promise in the Word of God. It's true. Have you experienced it? And we would all say, yes, I have. And that's the joy of living by faith. You get to experience the promises of God's Word. Now let's look at another way that faith brings joy, all right? Number two, you participate in God's plan for the world. You participate in God's plan for the world. Now there are two acts of obedience on the part of Abraham in these verses. Verse 3 says, he called the name of his son Isaac 
And verse 4 says, he circumcised him as God had commanded him. So, just as God did as he promised, so Abraham now does as God commanded. Now, think about this. These two acts on the part of Abraham, which seem very, very minor, are highlighted and they're emphasized. And you think about how small these acts are. Naming a child and circumcising him on the eighth day. How many times a day around our world do those two acts happen where parents name a child and those who practice circumcision in this uh, age of grace where it is not commanded circumcise a little baby boy? Very insignificant, it seems. But I want you to think with me how significant these acts were that Abraham performed in obedience to God. Think about this. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant made with Abraham. Only those who were circumcised could participate in the covenant blessings. If Isaac was not circumcised at eight days old, and God was very specific, wasn't he? You have to do it at eight days old. Isaac would have been excluded from the covenant. But who had been circumcised? Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. Had Abraham not circumcised Isaac, he would have been excluded from God's plan Ishmael, who was circumcised, would have had a greater claim as the heir of Abraham than Isaac. Is there a dispute in our world today over who are the true heirs of Abraham? Can you say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet? This little circumcision had huge significance in the course of world history. Now this leads me this morning to make a couple of statements that I hope all of us who are believers in Christ will never ever forget. And here are the two statements. Number one, God doesn't need our obedience. We must always remember that. God is never dependent upon us. We are always dependent upon him, but notice the rest of the statement. But he chooses not to fulfill his plans without it. Do you fully understand that? I don't. God does not need my obedience. He's far greater than that to need me. But he never fulfills his plans without the obedience of his people. And then notice the second statement. There are no small acts of obedience. No insignificant actions by faithful believers. The last I read, there are 40% of Americans that attend church. 
What that means is this morning as you got up and drove to church, every 10 houses you passed, six of those households were staying home. And as you drove by, this is what you were saying to them. Jesus is alive and well. I am a Christ follower. And he is worthy for me to show up on Sunday, the day that he arose, and to worship him. Are those significant actions? You better believe they are. The other day, as we were walking down to our car, one of our neighbors walked by and said, you're going to church, aren't you? And just by that little act of obedience, we said to our neighbor, Jesus is alive, we're his followers, and he's worth showing up on Sunday to worship him. There are no small acts of obedience, no insignificant actions that believers take in obedience to their Lord. And living by faith brings you that joy. Now let's look at the third way. The third way that faith brings joy. Number three, you experience the greatest joy, the joy of the Son. You experience the greatest joy, the joy of the Son. Now, what appears to us in this chapter as a dry announcement was nothing of the sort for Sarah. Verse 6, she uses Hebrew poetry to express wonder and amazement. Look again at verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Literally, in synonymous parallelism, this is what the verse says. Laughter God has made for me. Everybody hearing me will laugh with me. And twice, Sarah uses the same root, laugh, found in Isaac's name. And the second line involves the exact form of his name, so that literally the second line of verse 6 could be read like this, everyone who hears about this, will Isaac with me? Everyone who hears about this, will Isaac with me? Now what did laughter mean the last time when Sarah laughed? Meant doubt, didn't it? Meant despair. It meant hopelessness. Like my parents during those 13 years, so Sarah during those 25 years, this is never going to happen. Now, laughter means great joy. It means fulfillment. God's grace had changed her entire outlook. But brothers and sisters, there's more here than meets the eye. Far more. This is not just Sarah's 
joy. Isaac is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see that very clearly when we get to chapter 22. But here's an amazing, amazing thing. There are no less than six parallels between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you compare Genesis 21 with Luke chapter 1, some of the very same words are used. Look at it. Isaac had been promised, Genesis 21.1. And Jesus was promised, Luke 1.72. The Lord visited Sarah, Genesis 21.1. And Luke 1.68 says, God visited his people in the birth of Jesus. It was at the precise time that God had predicted and promised Genesis 21.2. And what do we read about Mary in Luke 2.6? The time came, just as God had promised. It was a miracle birth, Genesis 21.7. Sarah said... We're too old. Only God could bring this. And Luke 1.35, it was a miracle birth that only the Holy Spirit could bring about. Isaac was the covenant heir because he was circumcised on the eighth day in fulfillment of the promise, Genesis 21.4. And Jesus was also the covenant heir Luke 1.32, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign forever. And the result of this amazing birth was laughter for Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 21.6, and all who experienced the birth of Jesus, Luke 1.44 had great joy. Do you see what this means? Do you see what the message is? The joy comes in finally having the Son. The joy comes in finally having the Son. The whole Bible fits so beautifully together. The whole Bible is one great record of God intervening to bring the Son to his people that they might have the greatest joy possible. The joy of Abraham and Sarah at having the Son is your joy at having the Son. And faith. Brings great joy. Because when you have the Son, you experience the fulfillment of the promises of God. And you participate in God's plan for the world. 
Let's bow together, shall we, and let's thank you. Always hold this lesson in balance in your heart and mind. Living by faith will bring us great joy, but also great pain. And the great blessing is even in the midst of the pains of our life because we have the Son, we have the greatest joy that life offers. And we know even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, that we, because we possess the Son, he is working out a great plan for us. And even the hard experiences that we go through, which sometimes we're not able to fully understand, are in his plan and his purpose to ultimately someday take his servants up to their eternal home where we will experience joy inexpressible and full of glory. And today, where is your focus? What is your heart set upon? If you are seeking the happiness that this world has to offer, you will be disappointed. You will at some point place say I've got everything that I thought that I wanted and yet there's an emptiness life doesn't seem to really give to me what I thought it was all about but it's knowing Christ and walking with him and experiencing his work in your life that no matter the hardships you go through will give to you a deep and lasting satisfaction because you know you are at the very center of God's great work and plan in this world. Would you this morning, as we are spending a few moments in the presence of the Lord, allow him to speak to your heart. Would you thank him that if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have Jesus who is the joy of living. He's the king of life to us. And would you thank him that in his blessedness and promises, he's working in your life and you have the privilege of walking with him. And then whatever difficulty he has allowed, as we are going to see, as Abraham now knows, I must say goodbye to Ishmael. He must leave. God's plan demands it. Yet in the midst of that, he can trust you and believe that you are sovereign. You know what you're doing. 
and he can have peace. And would you this morning express the same thing to the Lord? Lord, you know the pain of my heart. You know the difficulty of my life. At this present moment, you know what you're doing. There is a a peace that I experience as I walk by faith in you. Lord Jesus, we love you today. And we love you because you have first loved us for Jesus' sake. Amen.